Eric Allison, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I'm good as well. Thank you. Awesome. Allison, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience and letting them know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm Allison. Um, I run a, a company called Align, um, and I do a lot of like leadership development type work. I'm also the mother of two teenagers who needs her own support group, really, because I think teens are really tough. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I married for, let's see, 23 years. And the reason I'm here is I my husband is a recovering alcoholic and my 18-year-old son is also a recovering alcoholic. So, And he also used a lot of pots. So I'm interested in what you guys are putting out. And I'm really excited about Breakwater. Well, we're really excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. And Dr. Eric, can you reintroduce yourself to our audience? You've been here a couple of times now, and we're happy to have you back. Yes, I'm, it's happy to be here. I'm, I'm excited to, to be back in the, for the program here. So um, I'm Eric Smullick. I'm a medical doctor who works for um, Advocate Aurora, um, both doing some um, family medicine and also running um, their addiction services in the Oshkosh area. Um, I also am affiliated with a number of other groups, um, including being the medical director over at Nova um, and doing some work with, um, with Solutions Recovery as well. Um, so um, I'm excited to be here. And um, this is a, a topic that's, um, that's definitely an interesting one. I've um, spoken a couple times um, about this, um, actually dating back to time in medical school. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it'll be kind of fun to have a little conversation. Yeah. And the topic that brings us all together today is cannabis. So as you both know, Breakwater had hosted a couple of community conversations all about cannabis with middle schoolers, high schoolers, and parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And we wanted to have a chat today, or I wanted to have a chat with you guys today to kind of talk about some of those common questions, points of confusion, or themes that we noted in those conversations, and maybe try to get some of those answers and information out there. So my first question is, what is CBD? And what is THC? Because during the conversations, most people in all the age groups knew that marijuana was both of those things, but exactly what each one was, there was a little confusion about. All right. Well, I guess I can feel this <laughs> since it's a little bit on the medically end of things. So um, if you look at like most medications or most um, actually things that you at the store, there's kind of active ingredients. So like I would basically kind of frame this back to that these are the two major active ingredients in the marijuana plant would be THC and CBD. Um, THC is um, a termed as a psychoactive compound, um, whereas CBD is not. Um, so I decided to look up what exactly is a psychoactive compound because I was even slightly confused. And what um, what they basically kind of term a, a psychoactive compound is sort of a mood-altering or mood-distorting type of compound. So, uh, um, so both of these compounds work on the brain. They have brain effects. Um, but the THC has this kind of more of a mood-distorting effect, whereas... Um, um, CBD definitely has some activity on the brain, so it would be psychoactive, but it but it's not um, it's not this doesn't have this kind of mood, mood distorting um, aspect to it as well. 
Um, the other thing that's sort of interesting about the, the CBD versus THC kind of goes back to a kind of full marijuana plants versus hemp. And um, the hemp plant, both uh, marijuana plants and hemp plants can um, have CBD. The hemp plant is very low in THC. Um, and that will kind of um, go back to some how things are regulated if we get to talking about that later. Oh, I plan to. (laughs) (laughs) And Allison, as a parent, do you feel, I'm sure you've learned a lot over the last several years. Um, Prior to recognizing that there was an issue, do you feel like you had a good understanding of what the difference between those two things were? Um, No, CBD was a new term for me. Um, and even now, so CBD was new. I learned about it. And actually, we tried it with our son uh, as a way to uh, deal with some of his anxieties and his depression. Um, it was not effective for him. Uh, it's also not regulated, and it's also unclear you know, what the concentrations are and all of that, which I'm sure uh, Dr. Smeltner can talk about. Um, what really confuses me now is THC device, like, delivery devices. Sure. That's a whole nother, I'm sure it's a whole nother show, right? There's carts, there's dabs, there's pens, there's like the actual doobie, right? Like the things that I knew and could recognize, but it's really, um, it's come a long way. It's innovated. It (laughs) has. It, it, the whole, you know, cannabis culture is, is a whole thing right now. And the industry is huge and growing for sure. And let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the delivery devices, because for a lot of people, they think back to their youth or their high school or college days. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to have marijuana, you were going to smoke a bowl, you were going to smoke a joint, something like that. But there are so many different ways to use or ingest marijuana right now. You had mentioned a few of them, carts, dabs, we're seeing kids vape it. It's edibles that you can now go and buy in the store, buy online, depending on which state you're in and the legal mm-hmm. status of marijuana in there. Um, what are you seeing out there, Dr. Eric, in terms of popular ways for, for kids or adults to use THC? Um, so I think probably, um, I think still probably the most popular is is the combustible marijuana product that that's still um if you talk to people they who are using fairly regularly they're probably going to be smoking some sort of marijuana type product um it seems like the um um kind of high concentration thc or dab type of thing seems to be a kind of a, a increasingly popular delivery method versus sort of what you would sort of um, see as like a marijuana plant that most people think about. Okay, yep, we're going to roll this into into a joint or stick it into a cigar blunt or something like that. Um, but I think there definitely has been an, a, a great increase in sort of the edible candy-like products. And I had a patient today who was showing me something that looked like trolley gummy worms that were, it said THC infused, so the use of um, kind of extraction of marijuana into oil-like forms and then used in um, sort of candies that are very hard to distinguish between what is a candy candy and what is a kind of a marijuana or CBD-infused type of product. 
Yeah. And it really kind of creates that disconnect of, you know, a lot of people who are pro legalized marijuana or pro marijuana in general, it's, you know, it's a plant, it's healthy, it grows from nature. It's a better alternative or quote unquote healthier organic alternative to prescription medications. And maybe in the true plant form, right? But once you get into some of these other substances, the high concentration dabs, oils, vape cartridges, it's gone through so much chemical processing to get to that point that it is no longer that organic plant material that you're ingesting, at least not only that organic plant material that you're ingesting. Mm-hmm. And kind of with the with the vape products, uh, I want to kind of bring this up because actually prior to COVID, we were spending a lot of time of like the epidemic of the vape. Um, and um, and actually in um, Milwaukee, they had some identifications of this sort of vapey type of lung disease. Um, and um, it specifically seemed like um, people who are vaping um, THC substances seem to be more prone to this. And one of the issues is that um, um, THC is lipid soluble, um, whereas nicotine is or, um, is um, water-based or water-soluble. So it's kind of the oil paint versus the watercolor type of thing. Um, obviously, if anybody's done like oil painting, you need to. Cl- there's a very different method to clean up oil paints than there is to do that. Sort of the same thing with that. So, in order to get those to dissolve, you need a different solvent, and that solvent um, was seeming to to deposit things in the lungs that that could be problematic. So that's kind of off the to as, as a side thing as far as that's not a danger of marijuana that that was causing this, but it's, it's more of a, uh, a danger of that delivery system itself. Yeah. Well, no. And I, yeah, it's not, you know, a direct link to marijuana, right. Mm-hmm. Of if you smoke marijuana, this will happen to you. But I think it underlines the importance that how you're doing what you're doing has different consequences that especially in our teenage years where we're not great at assessing risk and consequence, we might not think of. And as a parent who maybe doesn't, understand the scope of vaping or that THC can be vaped Mm -hmm. and how it can be vaped that might be something that doesn't even enter your your field of thought is you know I should be looking for this or talking to my kids about this yeah and I mean especially with kind of vaping being out there as sort of the safe alternative to cigarette smoking you sort of think of that it wouldn't make a um a huge cognitive jump to say well maybe vaping marijuana is safer than smoking marijuana. Um, either from a kid or from a parent who's saying, well, yeah, I, I don't want you to smoke that, but I guess if you want to throw it in a vape cartridge. Yeah, the well, lesser of, of two evils, so yeah. to speak, right? So I want to jump a little bit to another common question that we had was how does intoxication by THC or marijuana compared to alcohol intoxication, right? So in general, people feel like I know how much I can drink, how much alcohol I can consume to where my motor function starts diminishing. I maybe get louder. My inhibitions are lost. I should no longer be driving a car or making decisions. But how does that compare with use of THC? Is there that same recognizable level or set of indicators you can see in somebody else? Uh, yeah, as the mother, <clears throat> I have witnessed 
very uh, limited uh, exposure to marijuana, but um, I do notice a difference, I think, from whether it's smoked or whether it's inhaled through a vape, some type of device that is like a pen or whatever. Um, I have seen my child be laid back like the Cheech and Chong type, you know, high. And I've also seen the really paranoid, um, shaky, high heart rate. I've seen that as well. So um, I, I just, I'm surprised because I think it's a different, it's a different animal now than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think that's a very good question and it's nice that you kind of um, gave that response or that approach. Um, the, because I think what um, the marijuana plant itself is a very complex plant. And um, so, uh, and obviously like concentrations of things matter that somebody getting drunk off of Bacardi 151 rum is going to be different than somebody who got drunk off of wine coolers. Mm -hmm. But right now there, you're just dealing with alcohol to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, What there are is um, there's different strains and they have, um, we talked about the two main active ingredients, but there's a lot of different other active ingredients in marijuana plants too. And when I was kind of researching this a few years ago, um, at that time, there were basically three main strains, um, the um, Sestiva strains, the Inca strains, and then um, one other one that I can't remember. <laughs> but, um, but there are also, um, of those sort of substrains, there were seven or 800 different substrains that are available. Um, and the main differences with the um, Sestiva versus Indica strains tend to be that the sestiva strains are more excitatory. The um, um, indica strains are more relaxing. So um, so there is a little bit of duality to the compound itself. So there are some folks who really enjoy sort of the energizing effects, um, where there are other people who enjoy more of the relaxing or Cheech and Chong effect <laughs> of, um, of, of the marijuana plant and... and um, at more sophisticated dispensaries and stuff like that, you can talk to people about that. In Wisconsin, it's difficult. And I've, I have um, a patient who, who had a medical marijuana card in California who has struggled in Wisconsin because he said, you know, I really like the indica strains, but sometimes people will sell me stuff that they said, oh, yeah, this is good indica strains. And he's like, it ends up being... Sestiva strains, I take it before I go to bed, I get all agitated and paranoid. So um, I don't like that. I like this other thing. So um, so that sometimes that differing high effect in addition to that um, is, is sort of a issue. And, and even um, with the same strain, same seeds, different growing conditions, different soil conditions can have fairly different results as far as the THC and CBD and some of these other lesser active ingredients. So not necessarily an apples to apples, mm-hmm. but still a, and not even necessarily a specific set of symptoms or indicators that someone might exhibit if they're if they're high or using marijuana because it changes so much based on strain mm-hmm. and method of ingestion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The, the other thing that's sort of interesting with alcohol is that it, um, alcohol has a really interesting metabolism in that it's one of the few substances that has really a direct metabolism. 
So I'm sure most people have seen that little card. Okay, if I drink two drinks and I wait six hours, this is what my blood alcohol should be or something like that. So you can kind of um, look that out and say, okay, I've been in the bar this long. Maybe I, sh- maybe I can go home and do that. With um, marijuana, you have both that um, different people will metabolize marijuana in a different way, but that also um, if you're using heavily for a chronic amount of time, this can be stored in fat cells mm-hmm. going back to this sort of thing so that you may have marijuana that's built up in your system. So um, that makes some of the sort of the detection more difficult is, well, if you used heavily for a week and while well, you were on vacation in Colorado and then came back, could you still have a detectable level driving around or doing something, even if you haven't used for a little while, whereas alcohol, it's just going to be out of your system. Yeah. And that's, like you said, what makes some of that testing difficult. So when you talk about, you know, driving under the influence or being pulled over, Mm -hmm. there's the breathalyzer, but there's no real point of care testing for Mm -hmm. marijuana intoxication, which makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. Another common question we had is whether or not cannabis is addictive. We heard, again, in all conversations at all ages that people didn't think cannabis in and of itself was addicted but maybe the lifestyle was addictive or the choices that you're making kind of become an addiction of themselves, but they weren't sure that cannabis was addictive and they weren't sure if there were any specific withdrawal symptoms from cannabis use. Do either of you have any input on that? Oh, you betcha. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I, when I watched how my son, um, I, I would say that it is addictive just like anything is it is possible to be addicted to it. We talk about sugar addiction. There's nothing yeah. inherent in sugar that is addictive. However, our brain, my theory as a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but I think there's something that happens in our brain that that has us wanting it more and more, right? That definitely happened for our family, for our son uh, with marijuana. <clears throat> and when he, so his story, which I think he shared with you, um, is that we sent him. He was transported yeah. Without his knowledge, right? He woke up one morning and there were two guys in his room and they said, okay, you know, your mom and dad have called us and you're going to come with us today. And they flew him out to Utah. So he, he literally went from just thinking everything was cool to like being put in the desert and in the wilderness for three months. And his, um, he definitely had withdrawal symptoms. They don't look like what you would see in a movie, right? Yeah. Um, his depression, it was awful. Um, he, after three months, he was um, suicidal for a while. Um, I think he has depression, mm-hmm. so I think that the you know the withdrawal of 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 THC was it just exacerbated that probably. I don't think that it caused it, but I suspect that like I think it's too complicated, right? I think our brains, our bodies, the way we metabolize things. He's talking about the way that these plants affect us, all the different strains. Like I don't think we can blanketly say yes you know, black or white, yes or no. I think that it's so complicated. I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that question. I know that it, it really impacted our son when he was using and then when he stopped. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, and that's one of the things that I've seen with a lot of folks too, is that, that there are people who it's when, when you say, okay, um, if you don't think this is really addictive, why don't you try stopping and see how it goes? <laughs> yeah. And they say, yeah, I felt really bad for this or that or the other thing. Um, so like we were talking earlier that THC is a psychoactive compound. It has a brain receptor. 
it's the endocannabinoid receptor it does something um so if you activate that brain receptor in a psychoactive way there's a potential that it can be addictive what um i think the um issue and i think why people some people are saying well it doesn't really seem like it's particularly addictive is that it's a very commonly used substance so you said hey, i used it no i, didn't I was get, fine I, I didn't get addicted um but um but basically and then also kind of the well what is addiction mm-hmm. and addiction really is kind of um this loss of control or repeated use despite negative consequences so you say well, I lost my job because of marijuana, but I didn't like that job. It was the job's problem. <laughs> it wasn't the marijuana's problem. The marijuana didn't, the, I liked the marijuana. I didn't really like the job. So it's, so, um, but there are people who, who do that continuously to say, hey, you know, we have this, we have that, and those, those types of things. They did do a, um, they did some studies and looked at, well, how addictive is it? And one of the ways to look at how addictive is it is, well, how many people used and how many people have this kind of loss of control and use despite negative consequences. And what they found was about 9% of the population who use marijuana end up having significant problems related to that, which actually isn't much different than like alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, um, What they did do is and kind of delved into that data and looked at that a little bit closer and said, well, what are there some factors that tend to make it more likely that you would be addicted? Um, And what they found was that if you started using um, as a teenager, that about doubled your addiction rate. So, um, so knowing that, um, and that makes some sense in that we know that brain does, the brain doesn't get fully developed until about age 25. So if we're using um, substances on a brain that's not quite fully developed, um, it's more likely that we'll run into addictive issues. So um, when they looked at the people who said, okay, I started using marijuana at 13 or 14, then that became more like 15 to 20% of those people had use and, and consequences. The other thing they said is, well, did quantity matter? And it does. So if you're, if you're a daily smoker, um, most of those folks are about up to about 50% of them do show some signs of kind of meeting criteria for a, an addiction to a substance. So, uh, um, so it definitely is addictive. It's just most people greater than 90% of people who use marijuana don't become addicted to it. So that's, that sort of is the, um, the issue. So, I mean, and that's one of the things is, okay, well, do we legalize something? Do we restrict something where 90% of the people probably can use this okay? Yeah. But that there's a subset of folks who, yep, this is going to be a really problematic substance for them. Yeah, and I want to zero in on that 13 to 14-year-old age of initial use, kind of increasing your chance for a serious substance use disorder or experiencing that kind of cannabis use disorder later in life. Because, you know, 13 and 14 sounds kind of young, right? But, and even in these conversations, one of the questions that we asked was, what kind of conversations have you had with your parent or have you had with your child or children about about marijuana or other drugs. And there were several parents who had said, well, I'm just waiting till they're a little bit older, or I don't think they're quite old enough yet. And when you ask, okay, well, what does old enough mean to you? Some of the answers were, you know, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years old, or once I know that they've been exposed or are likely to have been exposed, then I will have the conversation with them. In reality, 
whether you look at the YRBS or through talking to the kids in these conversations or talking to nieces and nephews in my family, kids are being exposed, offered, seeing, being sold drugs in schools or witnessing use in schools as early as sixth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, which is pretty young. So the the opportunity for your 13, 14, 15 year old to access and use marijuana or another substance isn't as as isolated or as far-fetched as it seems. So, and, and Dr. Eric, we've talked about this on the podcast before too, about like those early conversations with kids. And I'd love to hear from both of you on this, uh, maybe Allison, you first, of, sure. of what kind of conversations had you have or had you have any in your home before your son started using and If so, at what ages were they? Sure. Um, Our family might be a little bit different, maybe an outlier, because um, my husband got sober when our kids were still in elementary school. And so we talked about, he had gone to rehab, we'd gone to the family program at the rehab. So it was very open in our family that the four of us know that dad has this thing and so we're going to figure out how to live with this and you know we're going to support him the best way we know how. We're all going to get supported in that. So our kids had um, a lot of knowledge that in our family, we've got a long history of addiction on my side, and their father is also an addict. And so just beware, you know, and, and we started those conversations very young. Um, the reason that D.A.R.E. is in fifth grade is probably because the data shows that drug use starts and, and, and access starts really in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our son's experience as well as our daughter's. Um, they were offered drugs, and they saw drugs and knew how to get them in middle school. So we started really young and and we continue to talk about drugs in our home. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Eric? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting, um, kind of conversations to have. And I think it can start very, very young, um, as far as, um, some of the, the stuff where we're just saying like, um, um, just, kind of these positive affirmations like that you're um that you're good your body is good um you don't need to change yourself you don't need to change your body you don't need to stick stuff into your body to have fun or things like that um so I think even as a young child and a lot of times um with the amount of drinking in in Wisconsin culture there's already the kind of well this is adult beverages this is kid beverages um watch out for adult beverages what is an adult beverage how does it work or things like that so I think kids already are kind of exposed to hey this is what things that adults do these are things that kids do um there may be some danger in that piece um so I think that type of thing that folks can talk about and um a lot of I mean, I think you can kind of go farther into being like, well, why is this a kid beverage? Why is this an adult beverage? It's like, yeah, your people's brains are not quite ready for this this type of a, a product or this type of a thing. So I think um, talking to kids about those types of things um, is a good way to start. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the addiction thing with um, starting to use as a, at a young age, but there's also some other things that, that that we've seen too as far as complications that occur in in teenagers or young teens versus your college age kids, your young adults, um, where these compounds are not as dangerous. 
um, for some of those folks. And to kind of, again, just bring it back a little bit to the discussion, you know, you had said, Allison, that you think your son had depression. And when he went into treatment, the cannabis withdrawals kind of exacerbated that depression. One thing that we've heard as well is that this idea that cannabis can be used to help treat depression, anxiety, ADHD, things of that nature. But then we hear stories like yours and your son's and we see articles about potential links between cannabis use and increased suicidal ideation among teens and young adults or PTSD survivors that were using some sort of cannabis regimen for treatment. What do we really know about it medically? What are we seeing in terms of studies where we're seeing that it is actually helpful or maybe it's harmful in the long term? So, um, yeah, so that's a really good question. And um, we can spend a long time talking about <laughs> what, what is medicine and how is marijuana um, medicine. So um, when I kind of gave this talk, I, I basically said, this is not the medicine, how I learned about medicine in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, that basically this is a medicine that's been voted on in most cases, either from a um, group of um, elected officials or the population at large to say, do you want to have this approved as medicine? So it's not approved as an FDA thing. There are some compounds, these psychoactive compounds are approved. Um, So THC is approved. There is a synthetic THC that's called Marinol that's approved for um, glaucoma and um, chemotherapy-related cancer, nausea, and stuff like that. So there is an approved meds with some approved uses. Um, there also are um, is an approved use for CBD, which is um, kind of rare childhood seizure disorders. So, so there are a, a, a very small amount of approved uses. Um, there are a lot of unapproved uses that are there. And, and this isn't necessarily marijuana or the researcher's fault. There was significant moratoriums on the research related to marijuana. So it's not that um, drug companies didn't want to get this approved or that there aren't benefits for marijuana, um, but, um, but it's, um, there are very few kind of FDA-approved things. There are... Um, have looked at some other conditions in some other countries, things like um, multiple sclerosis. Um, there are, um, some other countries have approved marijuana for that, so, so there are some um, pain with that. But, um, um, and there have been some looks in, in those other types of things as well. Um, the marijuana for um, PTSD is, is sort of interesting. Um, one of the patients I have, I have a, a patient who um, was a, an Iraqi war vet who was blown up, um, um, so had extensive pain, um, but also um, when he was blown up, his um, partner who he was driving with was killed. So um, so has extensive trauma as well, um, and basically came to me addicted to opiates, um, also was using marijuana, and I said, well, you have PTSD, you have pain, you have all this other stuff, there's a there's some good reasons why you may want to use THC, um, and it was it was um, interesting. We were able to relatively smoothly transition him off of opiates, um, but he kind of hung on to this THC 
still had sort of paranoia, hypervigilance, anger. Um, and we said, well, is this related to PTSD and pain or is this something maybe we'll do this? And he actually decided, he was like, well, I'm going to see if I can go off the marijuana for like a month and see what happens. And he said, a lot of my symptoms were actually perpetuated by marijuana. It wasn't. Um, I thought they were marijuana was helping this stuff, but really it was just covering it up. So I think that's that's sort of the, the thing that we have to kind of watch for is, is, is marijuana treating this or is it just covering up the depression? Is it covering up stuff and you say, yeah, I could care less if I am depressed or not because I'm high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two points. First, I think that's a fantastic example of whole patient care, right? Like mm-hmm. looking at it as a whole picture, meeting patients where they're at without judgment and just saying, this is where we're at. Let's move forward where we're able to move forward and take it as it comes. So kudos to you on that. That's an awesome story. And I'm glad that your patient is doing well um, now. And second, that is one thing that also came up in our conversations with the parent group is one of the individuals had mentioned that he knew somebody who used marijuana to as part of his recovery from opiate. So that was one of the questions that kind of, it kind of grew legs during the conversation of, well, if cannabis isn't that harmful or it is does have valid medical uses and it's not addictive of itself and it doesn't have withdrawal symptoms, maybe it can be kind of that bridge to recovery or pathway to recovery for people with opiate use disorder. Is that something that you've seen or is it kind of case by case? Um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting question. And I think there's actually some really quite interesting data that um, a lot of folks who, who are for marijuana legalization have kind of brought up. Um, and there was a, a relatively large study that they did that looked at um, um, opiate overdose deaths um, related to um, and um, the legalization of marijuana. And um, the study started in 1999 and looked, um, went through 2010. And then they capped it and they published their results and they said, there's a stark difference, probably 15 to 20% lower mm-hmm. opiate overdose deaths in these states that have um, relaxed medical marijuana laws versus the ones who don't, or relaxed marijuana laws in general. And everyone's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like, um, and... Um, in some talks I've heard that have been given said, well, we look at how many deaths you have, we can drop that by 20%. Like, look at that in the state of Wisconsin, that would save 200 lives. That's pretty amazing. Um, um, so that was a nice dialogue that people were having. Um, so then that they did is they said, oh, well, let's see, um, as over, over, overdoses increase, let's see if we can stretch that out and see. So they went out to 2017, and that went away. So it shrunk down. So it seemed like for a while it was there, and then it was there. And and even the authors of the study said, we're not really sure why it was there and why it shrank. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, we're not seeing any sort of causation. What we're doing is we're just looking at laws and we're looking at overdose deaths, and we're we're sort of seeing that. So um, so why that happened or what happened with it, we're not really sure. But I think that's some of it where where some of the discussion of can this be useful. Um, most of the addiction medicine boards look at this and say, there's an opiate receptor there's a, and the cannabinoid receptor. They're in a similar part of the brain, but they're completely different. 
So satisfying the endocannabinoid receptor is not really going to do much to your opiate receptor or vice versa. So again, it's apples to oranges type of thing. Um, it could be um, that that they aren't really recommending THC or CBD or any of that stuff as far as data to say, yep, this is good treatment for opiate use disorder. There are meds for opiate use disorder that we talked about in previous podcasts. So, um, so use those. Don't use THC. Now, as a harm reduction strategy, it could be something where you say, yeah, you know, I don't want to stop using drugs, but I want to use safer drugs. Um, can we can we do that? In my own medically assisted treatment um, programs, it's very rare that I'll say, I think we need to remove you from the program or change the level of care just because you've had some marijuana use. Um, but we also talk a little bit about, like, what's that looking like? Is this holding you back? Things like that. One other thing I want to talk about is, and it's a little bit off topic, we didn't necessarily explore it in these community conversations on cannabis, but traditionally when you talk about primary prevention or substance use prevention efforts, and especially when you talk about it in the lens of youth, it's framed in a way of like, well, kids, they get curious, they go out, they party, they want to have fun, and that's why they try substances. But more and more throughout the pandemic, I noticed a lot of the national webinars and information started reframing that and looking at it as, well, we know that adults sometimes use substances to feel good or enhance the good, and sometimes adults use substances to feel less bad. And they started kind of bringing that down to, well, maybe youth are using substances to feel less bad as well. And kind of what we talked about before with the brain development and that younger age of initiation and the not fully developed brain. Um, and maybe that's a different relationship with addiction or with substance use and your draw to substance use. So a question for both of you, in your experience, Allison, and in your practice, Dr. Eric, do you feel like you're seeing kids that are using substances to feel less bad? Or is it still seem to be, or does the, the idea of kids using substances to have fun or enhance the good seem to hold true? Um, I think in my experience and in the experience where we followed our son through his therapeutic boarding school and I met those kids that went there, there were 45 boys, all young teens. Um, those kids all um, were using drugs and alcohol to feel better. Um, and I know from some of my clients whose children are also struggling in, in ways and are using substances, um, it's almost hands down trying to feel better or to not feel the terrible things that they're feeling. Obviously, the pandemic has brought a lot of that out. So um, I think my son, in his experience, he tried it the first time because he was with people and they were having fun. And then he really liked it. And he liked that feeling. And it's um, it's hard to ask a young person with no long-term thinking to like not do that anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I think... Um, one of the, the things and one of the things that um, that folks like to talk a bunch about is this kind of the reefer madness idea. That <laughs> marijuana makes you insane. Oh, yeah. Um, and and there, are, there are definitely folks who are on both ends of that where it's like this is complete fallacy. 
or yeah, this is the really the reality. Like if if you don't if you use any marijuana, it's going to make you insane. Um, so I think that's it's this sort of the negative positive symptom type of thing. So I think um, interesting. One of the highest groups of marijuana users are um, people who have schizophrenia, and a lot of times we sort of think that it may be even as in in a young person that you're starting to get sort of these early signs of, of schizophrenia that you're seeing. Um, so um, that um, a lot of the schizophrenic people, if you say, well, why do you use marijuana? It's, I don't like, it calms my mind. I don't get the scary stuff anymore. Um, if I let, don't use it, it gets scary again. So, so this kind of idea of, of self-medication or, feeling less bad, I think is, is true. And I think there are a lot of young people who are kind of trying to start off, well, what are my feelings like? And a lot of times these are bad and scary thoughts. And do I want to have them? No. If I use marijuana, I have them less. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we heard loud and clear and kind of the standout quote of, of the, and sentiment of all of the conversations for me was this idea that cannabis is an in-between drug, right? So I believe the direct quote from one of the middle schoolers was, it's not as bad as heroin or cocaine, but it's not as minor as ibuprofen. It's just kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. So how how do we, as, as parents, as a community, as physicians, like how do we explain this? To, or how do we talk about this? Or how do we begin to kind of have an educated discussion or a productive discussion on if we were to legalize marijuana tomorrow, the state of Wisconsin, what does that look like for us in everyday life? Is it an in-between drug? It's not as bad as this, but it's worse than that. Or how do you make that comparison? And I realized I asked you like five questions in one, so. <laughs> well, let you start because I know you have a good. Well, I don't know. Um, I think the way we talk about it, I'll just share what we do in our family. And that is um, if we're using something, anything, to not feel our feelings, which I know sounds like a bumper sticker. However, it's very real in our family. You know, my husband numbed himself for 30, 40 years using alcohol. And when he had to start facing his own feelings, it was really hard for him because he hadn't built those coping skills. And so we've really fed that into our children as they were growing up. So we're big believers in like, learn how to feel that stuff, even if it hurts, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you want to rip your skin off, feel it because I promise it'll go away eventually. Um, so if we're using anything, be it drugs, alcohol, sugar, exercise, social media, I don't care what it is. If you're doing it as a way to avoid something for a long period of time, right? I don't want them to feel their feelings constantly and not have a, a reprieve. But if it's something that is getting in the way, then we probably need to talk about it. So whether we legalize, it it helps me to to guide the conversation so that it has nothing to do with what Wisconsin decides to do in Madison around pot. Like, they can legalize it. They cannot legalize it. As long as my family knows, like, do you guys know how to regulate yourselves emotionally? And can you deal with really hard stuff? And if you're suffering from mental illness, do you know how to be supported in a healthy way? So that's yeah. what we've done. That's great. Yeah. So, um, 
So when you were talking, I, I have a chart that I wish I could like. Can you put it in the rub, rub into the microphone <laughs> here? But it's it it's what it's called is it's um it's the marijuana perception of harm. Yes. So um so if you look at there was a time where in the sixties and seventies where marijuana was perceived as being relatively safe, and then there was a time in the nineties where it was perceived as being not very safe. And then there is now this time where it's pretty much in kind of a record level of, of the perception of harm of marijuana is, is at kind of a record low. Um, so if we look at it like objectively, what do people who are in charge of stuff say? Um, the Drug Enforcement Agency says this is a Scheduled one compound, which ranks it in the same breath as heroin, um, worse than other things like oxycodone, mm -hmm. um, cocaine, um, um, Xanax, and things like alcohol or those things. So if you look at from the DA standpoint, they say this is a very, very dangerous drug. Now there's a bunch of political weirdness about the <laughs> DA. So, um, and I'm not going to say anything bad about the DA because they control my licensing, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but, there, there is some kind of weirdness with that. If, if, um, so, so you have this kind of the public perception versus kind of the regulatory perception, and how does this look? And probably the reality is somewhere in the middle. Um, again, I think um, marijuana is one of the most used substances other than alcohol. So, so people are kind of like, you know, I used it and I didn't die, so <laughs> I guess that's going to be okay. Um, now, you may not have used what is available right now, or maybe you are using what's available right now. And it, um, But I think the other danger is is that for kids, this is not a safe compound. This is not an ibuprofen or a Tylenol. Um, the, there, is, there is definitely risks involved with this um, related to some mental health stuff, related to IQ stuff, and that. So, so it's, it's, I, I want to make kind of clear the message that this isn't a safe compound for kids. And um, I had a, um, I, I joked that in this conference, I got assigned the, the task of, of Dr. Buzzkill um, <laughs> as, the, as the doctor who was against, um, against marijuana. And, and I, I was kind of the no on the debate of the, with this marijuana ad, um, these marijuana advocates. And I kind of hammered home kind of this kid thing of, why are the marijuana people saying, yeah, yeah, we know this is a good a, a good thing for adults, blah, 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 and then you make candy that's infused with marijuana. What's the deal? And Or you make jewel cartridges that we know have been extensively marketed to kids, and we put those, um, put vape cartridges that you can vape marijuana in. Um, and why are we doing this? Well, we know it's more addictive if you start out young. Mm -hmm. So, so if you were a business model, you said, "Hey, if we start using it at fourteen, it's a lot better business than if they start using it when they're twenty-five. Yeah. It's it's a lot more likely that they're going to use more and use it for longer. So it makes absolute sense from a marketing standpoint. So, um, but it's um, but that that period is 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 fairly dangerous from that. So I think mm -hmm. um, the kind of the perception and the reality, I think." sometimes don't completely line up. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, and specifically, like, the impact on the youth, because, you know, and again, 
substance use prevention isn't like a super cool thing that people want to be involved in and talk Mm -hmm. about. And like a lot of times you hear substance use prevention coalition or substance use prevention something and it's like, I'll suffer through Mm -hmm. it, but just get to get the next thing. Um, But it and that's part of the reason why we started this podcast at Breakwater is to have these conversations and to help people understand that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not a group of prohibitionists. We're not anti everything. And we're not even saying, as a coalition, we're not saying, no, you shall not legalize marijuana. We're saying that if it happens or when it happens, let's make sure that it is set up and regulated in a way that is protective of our youth and our community so that our middle school students aren't walking one mile from their driveway to the school building and passing four shops with outdoor advertising and windows full of marijuana, this and that, so that there's not nearly indistinguishable packaging between the trolley gummy worms and the THC candies and all of that kind of stuff. Because all of that advertising, the social media, Mm -hmm. the just crazy amount of information out there on the internet, overheard discussions, does go a long way to that perception of harm, both for children and adults and communities as a whole. Yeah, and and kind of with that those discussions with the marijuana advocates, it was interesting because at the end of the, my talk, they said, you know, a lot of the s- concerns you have are the same concerns we have. Mm-hmm. Are are these substances safe as far as the distribution plans, the regulations, those types of things? And we don't like our goal as a marijuana. Um, advocate to legalization is not to get mar- marijuana in the hands of 12 year olds. It's to get to allow a, a reasonable adult who wants to use this in a recreational fashion or, or for some medical reason to use it. Um, just one more point. Uh, the states that have legalized it, there is data, and I'm not sure what it is, but there is data on did youth use increase once it was legalized and from what i've been told by the program that my son went to in arizona is absolutely so whether the advocates want it in the hands of kids or not once we do know that once it is legalized it does happen and so you know is there a way so everybody gets what they want where adults who want it can use it and use it responsibly and can we also keep it out of the hands of kids I don't know the answer that we have not been able to do that I guess yet not in this country well and I hope that this conversation creates more conversations and we can start talking about this on a community level and take a preemptive approach rather than a reactive legislation is signed and we have to hurry up and try to figure it out because you're right just like alcohol it's legal it's regulated it's illegal for minors to have but we know kids are still getting it through either their beer fridge in the basement or garage, older siblings, friends, sellers who aren't checking IDs, Snapchat, all of that kind of stuff. And kids are getting marijuana now if they want it. They know how to get it from an early age. They know better than we do how to get it from an early age. So making it legal and regulated and having storefronts check IDs isn't going to keep it out of the hands of kids. And having the advertisements in your community that people are walking past and seeing or TV commercials or however places would be allowed to advertise plays into perception of harm like you were talking about, Dr. Eric. And we know that when it comes to alcohol, the outlet density of alcohol in a community has a direct impact on 
alcohol-related crime and disorder, on underage drinking rates, on perception of harm as alcohol. So I can only imagine that outlet density of, of cannabis shops or dispensaries would have the same impact. Well, I really appreciate both of you being on the show today and joining us for this conversation. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, the one other thing that I that I do kind of like to talk a little bit about from from the kind of the marijuana standpoint is in addition to it being kind of a complex plant is that um, that there are contaminations and impurities in those things as well. Um, this is especially common in marijuana that's bought from sources that we don't really know what's going on with them, but it also is um, is um, can be seen in sort of dispensaries as well. And um, one of the examples that I've used is um, is there um, there was this case of contamination in marijuana in a dispensary in the state of Michigan, and Michigan's had medical marijuana through dispensaries for a long time. I think it's since two thousand eight. So they have a lot of experience in this. They have a lot of experience in regulating this and how how to work through it and do that. So, um, but and and with these contaminations, it was not only just like chemicals, but it was also E. coli and salmonella and those things. So there is, in addition to the risk of well, the compound itself, there also is is risk of some serious illnesses that can be. So um, so that's something that I don't think a lot of people think about when they're saying. Yeah, we're just using some marijuana, whatever. Um, so I think it is one of those things where if, if somebody does choose to use or, or chooses to to look at that, um, to really look at what the sources are, um, um, spend an extra little extra money or spend a um, make sure that you're kind of dealing with stuff that's really regulated and you know kind of what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Excellent point, Allison. Any last thoughts to share? Oh gosh. I can't think of any right now. <laughs> feel, feel your feelings, right? <laughs> Learn how to feel your feelings. Feel your feelings. Yeah. I think that <laughs> might be the most concise but impactful advice I've ever heard. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm going to steal that phrase. You bet. It's all yours. Thank you both. Thanks. Thanks.